Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about some failures and mistakes. Now, fortunately, and uh, sort of unfortunately, I have several failure stories to tell you about. So this is, uh, unfortunately, and fortunately, is going to be a series. So I'll probably cover a couple of them today and maybe a couple of them some other time in a future episode, most likely. And I think it's really important to highlight the, uh, you know, the mistakes that successful people make. And I'll, I'll just, I'll put myself in the successful category. People define success in different ways. So I'm not saying I'm uh, the, the sort of ideal scenario or anything like that, but some people would say that I'm successful and it does depend on how you define success. And I'm at a spot where like I had a specific goal, I had an idea of success and I feel like I'm pretty close, at least at this point, it always shifts, but at least at this point, I'm, I feel pretty good about it. You know, I'm pretty happy most of the time. I'm happier than I was. I'm doing things that I enjoy with people that I enjoy. I'm working on the work that I want to. I have a lot of autonomy. So I have reached a spot where I feel like I had an idea of success. I moved in that direction. I feel pretty good about it. So one quick thing I want to note is I'm actually recording this for YouTube and the podcast. So I don't always do this, but I am recording a video. If you are only listening to the podcast, it's fantastic. I'm only just waving my hands around a little bit. Um, there's nothing really to, to note. I'm not going to be sharing anything uh, on the screen or anything where it matters uh, what I look like. If you're only watching on YouTube, I do encourage you to check out the podcast side as well. There's a lot of episodes that I don't publish on YouTube and it's just for the folks over on the audio side. The reason why I do that is, well, it's, it's a little bit easier and I actually like the audio format very much. I'm personally a podcast listener. I listen to... I don't know, probably a dozen uh, on a regular basis and kind of, you know, some fall in, some fall out. And I have different cycles of what I, I'm interested in listening to, but I really like the audio side. And when I, actually, when I think back, when I was a kid, I was a weird kid and I listened to like talk radio, I think in like middle school, I mean, you know, younger than you would think. <laughs> Uh, a young teenage boy would be, you know, interested in listening to talk radio. Sometimes it was like, you know, sports. So I think that was maybe like the first uh, kind of talk radio that I listened to. It was like kind of sports. And then I would catch another show and some of them were funny. It was just a few people hanging out. And, uh, you know, of course, I think a lot of people that were interested in radio or broadcasting, they ended up you know, moving over to podcasting or people that weren't even interested in it or now podcasting. So anyway, I dig the audio format. If you're only over on the YouTube side, you know, check out some of the the shows. There are a handful that are, you know, they're never going to be over on the YouTube side, but it's easy enough for me to record both all at once. So anyway, with that out of the way, Yep, we're going to cover a few failures, and I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. The 
well, the beginning of my story. So it's 20, 2013 or so. And before I get into it, I'll digress a little bit. And the, the thing is, no matter what industry, no matter what someone is sort of successful at, usually there's a series of mistakes and, you know, you can reframe it as like lessons learned. Usually it takes a few years, you know, I've covered the uh, ideal idea of taking about three years to, you know, quote, replace your full-time income, which could mean different things to different people, but it's a thousand day, excuse me, a thousand day rule made famous by the Tropical MBA podcast. So TMBA podcast, and there's a few episodes on it. I've actually recorded a couple episodes on the thousand day rule as well. And the general idea is it, it takes you a few years to get your footing and figure out, you know, what the fuck you're doing and learn some skills. And then hopefully you're pivoting, hopefully you're adapting, hopefully you're making uh, fewer mistakes or not repeating the same mistakes that you made before. You get your footing and then you can grow. You can sort of either scale up or become you know better at whatever it is you're practicing at, earn more money, about three years. And I've, I've seen that sort of trend over and over again. Um, Dan and Ian at Tropical MBA, they've seen it, you know, even more times and it can be shorter and it can be longer. Um, one way it can be shorter is if you have a particular skill set that really lends itself to whatever the, the gig is that you're working on. So for example, if you're a writer and you've been writing for several years and it kind of comes naturally working on a content website, maybe you're going to be able to do it a lot faster than other people that don't know how to write as well as you do. They don't have as many hours of practice and you can translate it to many other things. So if you're, if you're someone who worked in PR and outreach and networking and all that stuff, you may be sort of a natural, not a natural, but you have the skills to build links and network and be part of you know, be part of a a link building team or something like that. So just a quick little example. All right, before I get into the meat, quick thanks to Ezoic. They sponsor these podcasts, really appreciate uh, working with them. I have been working with them for a few years. Uh, Any display ads that I have on my sites, they're Ezoic and they have a product called Leap. It will help your website load faster, help you get green and core web vitals. And there will be a link um, that you could go check that stuff out. Even if you're, you know, you already have those solutions uh, taken care of and they're not problems for you. Ezoic has a great blog and I encourage you to go check it out. You'll probably see people um, that you, you know, know, uh, guest posting there and great blog. So thanks a lot to Ezoic. Now let's talk about <laughs> some mistakes. And we'll go back, like I said, to 2013. So I found Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn in roughly March, April, I think it was like the end of March of 2013. And I literally had no interest in entrepreneurship, side hustles, um, earning extra money on the side. It wasn't even on my radar, but as an avid podcast listener, I was kind of burned out on what I was listening to at the time, which was a lot of homebrewing uh, podcast all about beer. And I'd listened to hundreds of hours from probably like 2007 all the way to 2013. 
and it was it was great. I had a fun time learning all about beer, but at some point I was like, all right, I'm a little bit burned out. So I'm, I'm just, I want to find a podcast and I was going through the top charts and I hopped over to, you know, many different sections, um, you know, comedy, news, lifestyle. I don't know what other, <laughs> I don't know what other categories there are, but I went to business, right? So I went to business and Pat Flynn was probably in the top 10 smart passive income was. So I downloaded, you know, first episode and maybe the most recent episode. That was kind of my strategy. So I went all the way back to the beginning, listened to a recent one as well. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then I was hooked. So I got completely obsessed. I started listening to Smart Passive Income in any sort of a jump off podcast. So a good example of, of that was um, Niche Pursuits with Spencer Hawes. So he was a guest on one of the kind of recent episodes around that time frame. He was building an Amazon affiliate site. And I think he was on a couple of times, but I was like, oh, this guy sounds pretty cool. I'll, I'll check out his podcast too. And I, again, I was hooked and I was just consuming all this information. One thing that Pat and uh, many of the other people emphasized was just the fact that it was, it was really common to make mistakes. And you would hear people say, you know, fail fast and just, you know, keep moving forward. And probably, you know, the things that I say, um, and it's just sort of my own version of it, where it's just, you know, take action, you know, pivot, look at the feedback that you're getting from the world, look at your data, look at the information, think about, you know, how you feel about the work that you're doing. Is it enjoyable? Do you hate doing it? And use that to sort of navigate. But, you know, mistakes are part of the, the, the whole game here. So if you're, if you're only sticking to like a sort of safe route um, and you're not challenging yourself, you are probably um, sort of, you know, you're just playing it safe. You're, you're playing it safe and you're not sort of on the edge of what your knowledge is. So I started my first site in probably four weeks, four to six weeks or something like that. So I did my keyword research wrong. Uh, so that was like mistake number one. I was using, uh, back in the day, we had the, what was it called? It was a keyword planner tool. And it, you know, it's used by, people that are running ads, it's a Google tool. And now it's, you know, not so helpful. There are better tools, but you know, you can still use it to get a general idea of the search volumes. And, you know, Google would tell us those search volumes that were estimated. And I think Google used like a 12 month uh, running average there. And basically I was looking at the, the data in the tool and it had like a, a competition column which you see in most of the other tools out there these days. So it's competition, but it is competition for the advertisers. So if it says low, medium, or high, it's the competition of the advertisers. We're not advertisers as keyword researchers trying to build our sites. We're, we're interested in the search volumes. So when you see high competition, it means there's a lot of advertisers that are interested in it, which sort of indicates maybe a higher dollar value um, to those keywords. It's more commercial, 
people are earning money because there's high competition and you know there's a lot of people interested in it. If you saw a keyword in the competition column that had low, low competition, it meant it's probably not very profitable. People are not advertising on it. There are very few advertisers that are interested in that keyword. I didn't know that. I saw competition low and I thought, well, I want to go after low competition keywords. That makes sense, right? So that was strike one. And I based my whole site, <laughs> I based my whole first site around the fact that it was a low competition keyword. And back in those days, it was pretty common to do the exact match keywords. So, you know, best coffee cup, for example, and it would be bestcoffeecup.com. And nowadays it's kind of, you know, frowned upon. Most people will say, don't do that. You know, brand your site, use, uh, you know, more something more broad, you know, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into just one product there. Some people still do it. Um, and you know, you can be successful, but if you think like maybe you want to sell the site in the future, most buyers are probably not interested or they're less interested. There's fewer buyers that are interested in an exact match domain. So anyway, did an exact match domain, which it wasn't a mistake back then, but if we're looking at it through our 2022 glasses, then yeah, probably not the best move. So anyway, the keyword research was kind of wrong. It didn't end up being um, a major issue, but at the time I was following, you know, the the guidelines from the people that I mentioned before, you know, Pat Flynn, Spencer Hawes, um, link building was done much differently back in the day. So there were things like uh, link pyramids and link wheels. And if you don't know what they are, you don't have to worry too much. Just understand that it was a, you know, gray hat link building technique where you essentially like built like fake websites where you didn't intend to get any traffic. You were just building a site so that you could put a little content there and then link to your site. So funny enough, that worked, <laughs> that worked pretty well. There was uh, another sort of link building uh, technique where, you know, we talk about it fairly often. It still goes on as private blog networks. So PBNs and you get expired domains or older domains with some authority and backlinks existing. And, uh, you, you know, you build a site again, you put a little content on there. You are building it purely to link over to your money site. So I didn't get into the PBN portion, not yet. That's a little foreshadowing, but I did hire some people from like Fiverr and I hired a couple people over on Upwork, which I think it was, it was called Odesk back in the day. So I hired them and there's, you know, I mean, there's there's so many people out there offering services. And the thing is, you know, you can look at some reviews and, you know, just kind of try to get an idea of the quality of the work, but you really don't know. And I was, I was so new, I didn't, I didn't know anything, right? Uh, just what I was listening to. And, you know, people say a lot of shit. So um, sometimes people are on podcasts they, and they, they have one interesting case study, one little success story and they share it. And then, you know, I was new enough. I didn't know how to filter through the bullshit and the the good stuff. And then I, uh, I basically hired this dude who, 
you know, once you say, hey, I got a gig, I want to try to hire someone, you'll get a lot of different proposals. And, you know, people sound so certain, like they know exactly what they're doing and they're super experienced. And it, you know, on the other side of the keyboard, it could be like a 12 year old who doesn't know anything about anything. And they're, you know, they're doing that stuff. I don't think it was a 12 year old, but it was someone who sounded very qualified to my naive brain and just ignorance around the whole uh, area of link building. So he built uh, some crazy bullshit links, you know, some of the link wheel, link pyramid. There's all these links going everywhere. And like I said, on the on the site that I did the bad keyword research on, you know, site number one, I didn't get a penalty. There was no, you know, no major issues. The site, uh, funny enough, it actually did rank a little bit and it, you know, it was getting traffic. And back in those days, I sound like a really old man, but back in those days, in 2013, you could throw up a site, get some bullshit links built, and uh, it would get some traffic. And I did write the content myself. So in, on the first several sites, I wrote the content myself. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did research. And at least from a grammatical standpoint and a readability standpoint, it was fine. So not the best in the world, but it was going to be Okay. So it did get traffic. I think, I don't remember exactly. It's been a while, but you know, it, it started a little slow, but it was getting like hundreds of visitors per day, say like three to 500. Now you, you may be thinking, oh, that's pretty good. I mean, and it was pretty quick, you know, like one to two months, it was getting that much traffic. And I put AdSense on there and it actually worked. And I earned, you know, a few pennies. And I remember telling my wife, uh, like, oh, somebody clicked on the ad, like we earned money, like this actually works. And it was, it was amazing. You know, I got 13 cents or whatever for like a hundred hours of work or something like that. I don't know what, what I put into it, but uh, you know, I earned a few bucks from it with AdSense. So it, it proved the model and I was like, I'm making a little money. And, you know, quick side note, there were, it was very popular back then because it was easy enough to put up a site like I'm talking about, publish 20 articles, earn a dollar a day. It was a popular idea that you could put up like a hundred of those, right? Some of them might earn a little bit more, but you see where this is going. You could start a site, throw some content up, get some backlinks, and then you could earn a couple bucks a day. And then you just repeat that over and over again. And you could have a, you know, several dozen sites and earn a couple hundred dollars per day. And there was a long enough sort of lifespan for those. Cause you know, if you're thinking about doing that these days, you're probably going to get penalized. If you're able to get your site up and running that quick, it's probably only going to last for a short amount of time. And then the math doesn't work out. You don't get an ROI on it. You don't get a positive ROI on it. So when people talked about it back, back then, you know, they had been doing that for a few years and Google wasn't sophisticated enough to weed them out in a, you know, sort of sufficient way. There were, you know, algorithm updates and things happened um, to, try to stay ahead of, you know, quote, spammers that put up websites like this. But generally, 
it was a thing that you can do. And I remember following a few people that were like, yeah, I have like, you know, 200 of these websites. They make a few bucks a day and they're making four or $500 per day from their whole portfolio of websites. And yeah, it's, it's shifted quite a bit. So that was a little tangent, little history lesson, but I don't even know if you could find the documentation or old podcast where people are talking about that. Hopefully they've deleted it. So no one's trying to do that again. But yeah, I remember, you know, a few people dropped off like after that sort of business model wasn't effective anymore, which was roughly around 2013, 2014. So to wrap that one up, I, I did a couple of good things. I started a site quickly. I started taking action. I started to understand the tools a little bit better. I started to understand how to use the tools and the mistakes that I made. And I took action and I was like, okay, this particular um, activity, this whole project was minorly successful. I got some skills out of it and I'm ready to move on to the next one. So fast forward to uh, roughly July of 2013. That was around the time that Spencer Hawes of Niche Pursuits was starting his first niche site project. And that is, you know, where I borrowed the name. I asked Spencer, you know, when I was starting my blog, like, hey, is it okay if I name my blog this? I'm a project manager, so it sort of fits. And he was like, cool, you can do that. So I, I always I always appreciate that. And I think, um, well, there, there's so many blogs that get started each year and, um, you know, people from audiences. And I remember there were a bunch of other bloggers that started around the same time as me. The thing is, uh, blogging and persistence is, uh, you know, you got to be persistent with a blog. And I, I have a suspicion that Spencer was like, sure, you could call it whatever you want thinking, you know, most people only blog for like a year or two, and then they kind of fall off. So if you look, look at my sort of graduating class of like 2013, there's only a handful of us that are still blogging. Most people stop. Most people stop pretty quick. Some people hang on for a few years, but um, persistence is uh, rare. It is very rare for someone to stick around. And then, yeah. So anyway, thanks Spencer for letting me borrow it. A uh, funny side story. I got to make sure I don't go too long here with all my tangents, but the niche site project domain was actually owned before me. So a guy named Chris Ducker, who I think is buddies with Pat Flynn, and he was sort of in that circle too, but it was pretty popular to start a project, start a thing and just buy the domain name. So people could um, just type it in and then it would redirect to wherever the owner wanted it to go. So Niche Site Project was a one of those competition uh, duels or whatever that was sort of popular in whatever, say 2007 to 2010 before my time working in this industry. But anyway, I didn't know it. And then later uh, found like some, some uh, like artifacts, some remnants out there of the original niche site project. So that is out there. Just a little fun fact. Most people don't know. Well, I didn't know it. <laughs> I bet Chris Ducker barely even remembers uh, doing it. It was so long ago. So 
that was mistake number one. The whole project was kind of a failure, but I learned a handful of things, writing, the keyword research, um, you know, be a little cautious with um, the link building, but maybe just who you hire. I wasn't quite sure. I mean, it kind of worked and that was what everyone was doing. So fast forward to July, Spencer's doing niche site project. He's focusing on Amazon affiliate and he had a, you know, a live, a live case study site, which he has, you know, done multiple times now in the last several years. And it was great because you were able to see, you know, what he was doing on his site. You could see how he was organizing the content, his homepage, the, um, you know, comparison tables, just all the stuff that he was doing. He was, you know, kind of learning on the fly. I mean, he was more experienced, of course, but he was testing things out and going along with that business model. So I was like, this sounds great. I'm going to give it a shot. You know, the AdSense thing was okay. I made some mistakes, but he's doing a live case study. I'm going to follow along with that. So I started my site in mid-July or so 2013 and followed along pretty closely with what Spencer was doing, taking what I learned in the first project in the, my first site and, you know, went from there. Of course, the content was a little bit different. It was uh, product reviews primarily. Again, I wrote all of the initial content, say 40 articles or so. And then I think pretty quickly, I started hiring people from uh, Odesk back in the day. So it from Upwork. So I was hiring a couple writers just to help me out a little bit. I did have some money to invest. So, you know, I was probably paying say a couple hundred bucks a month, nothing crazy, but I was hiring the the writers directly, working with them directly and training them, you know, showing them the templates that I wanted them to use. And I knew that it would help me, you know, publish content a little faster, just having a little help. So those were also the days where, you know, I was waking up at four in the morning, I would work on my site, then I would, you know, have my normal day. And then potentially, you know, sometimes I would, I would work on my site again in the evening. I mean, I was really obsessed with this stuff and it ended up, you know, working out well. Now, one thing that I did that was a mistake, and th this ends up being a fairly big failure, this whole thing. So I was following along with the link building strategies that were popular at the time. So again, um, the link wheel, link pyramid, I probably hired a couple other people to build such links. There were also, um, and I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper, there were what are referred to as Web 2.0 blogs. And these are free blogs, think blogspot.com, wordpress.com, Tumblr. There's a handful of others and there were many more back in those days. They're probably, you know, potentially still out there, but I think it kind of fell away. So these were the early free blogging platforms. You would just go put in your email address, maybe a little bit of information, and then you would have a website running and it would be like dougssite.blogspot.com, right? And you could start several of them. You could you know, just make up new email addresses and then start up a bunch of these websites. So those web 2.0 blogs were pretty popular for link building. And there was actually software that you could buy that would do that in an automated fashion. So some of the software that was out there could do 
really amazing things. So I think one of them was called like SEO Nuke and there was another one like SEO Demon or Demon SEO or something. There were several and I actually like bought some of that software and I, I use Macs and I have for several years. The one that I used, it was only available on a Windows machine. So I actually bought a Windows laptop just to run this horrible software. So that was one thing. Um, in addition to the web 2.0s that you could build manually or that you could use software to create, you could also do, you know, quote, tiered link building. So this, you know, kind of gets into the idea of the link wheels and the link pyramids, but you would potentially build your web 2.0 blog, again, like a blog spot type free blog. And then you would build a bunch of other links pointing to that one blog. So it gets kind of complicated and it, you can picture the pyramid sort of shape where you have, you know, a bunch of uh, crappy other web 2.0 blogs pointing to one other crappy web 2.0 blog and then have links from that web 2.0 pointing to your money website. So that is the sort of pyramid idea. And again, you could automate that. You could have multiple tiers of links. And so I was doing that. I was doing that as well. Sometimes I was hiring it out. I did have the laptop where I was like, okay, if I could do this a little bit on my own, that potentially would be helpful. Further, the private blog network type links were very popular. In fact, there were services out there. And frankly, there are still services that, that do this. They may not advertise it as such, but there are networks out there that companies own. We'll just say like, random SEO company number one, they'll sell links and they're like, hey, we have our own network. We'll, we'll build links to your site. And they would have, you know, potentially hundreds of domains in their network. And then you could go pay them, say $150 a link. I'm just making up a number. And then they would link up to your site. Now the crazy fucking thing, especially when, when you're thinking about how things are today, is you can get a handful of links pointing to your site, pointing to a specific, very profitable keyword. And two, three days later, your site would jump in rankings. That particular keyword, that page, that URL would jump in rankings and it would be, you know, 57. And then it would jump to like number three. It was very clear, like those links helped a lot and you could remove the links and then it would drop back down. Like there was a very clear correlation, very easy to see the cause and effect. And it was kind of crazy. You know, sometimes it would take a little longer. Let's say it's a more competitive keyword or something like that. So maybe you don't jump all the way up and you would slowly move up, but the results and the impact was very quick. And it was again, very clear, like, oh, this website has uh, a lot of power. There's a lot of um, backlink power there. So if you get a link from there, you're probably going to move up a lot. And it, it was, it was great. So within, I think the, the first or second month, the site made, I don't know, $18. And I'm going to get the trajectory roughly correct, but the numbers are a little bit off. I, I don't have it, um, just in my head. The, say the third month it made, $80. 
the actually make that month two, $80. The third month, it was like 400. Uh, the, I'm mixing it up, but basically it escalated quickly. It was like going two or three X each month. And I was like, Oh my God. And I remember distinctly. And if I've had a personal conversation with you and we went back in my history, I may have told you this story, but I remember I was on a road trip uh, with my wife and uh, dog, so the family, <laughs> in uh, Indiana and Michigan. And we were actually driving in Michigan and we were heading up to the Upper Peninsula. We we're going to hang out in Traverse City. Cool brewery there called um, Jolly Pumpkin. I think uh, their home base is somewhere else, but they got a cool brewery right up there. So we're, we're driving up there and we had just hit... Uh, like the first $500 a month. And I was like, this is crazy. My initial goal was to earn $300 per month, maybe in six months or a year or something like that. And we surpassed it in just like three months or so. And it was growing very quick. We're, we were approaching the retail season. So started the site in July. Um, so as, as we're, we're on this road trip, it's like the fall. I want to say it was like early October, something like that. So we're approaching the retail season. And then November, I think the site earned $2,800 or so. And I was like, holy shit, this is absolutely bananas. December, the site earned $6,250 some odd dollars. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm going to quit my job. I am a genius. And it was, yeah, it was really, it was very amazing. Uh, as the site was growing, I, you know, got in touch with Spencer and I was like, I've been following along with your case study. I'm using Longtail Pro, which he owned at the time he, he created it. But I was like, I'm using your tools. I follow along with your case study. I did a success story uh, blog interview with him in, you know, sort of the earlier stages. So maybe I had like 800 or 500 or something like that. And then I checked in with him after December or around that time frame, And I was like, Hey man, I'm going to hit like $6,000. So again, this is like six months in, I hit $6,000 and we set up the interview for early January, 2014. And I actually, I remember, you know, the desk I was sitting at, we were actually uh, like house sitting. So I was at my my friend's place. I remember sitting there and I think it was like the day of the interview, my site's traffic dropped. So, you know, we were earning hundreds of dollars a day and then it went down to like, I don't know, five bucks a day. It didn't matter. The traffic dropped by like 90%. So I was, I was, um, you know, I thought I had a lot of stuff figured out and as time goes on, like now, like, I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. Yeah, I know I got some, some skills and some background knowledge, but I'm very aware that there's huge gaps in my knowledge. And just because I've seen something or heard of something before, or even experienced things, it doesn't mean that like I haven't figured out or anything. So that was one of those big lessons. And I remember um, in the interview, I'm like, yeah, the site was hit. But um, I think, you know, we just got to build some more backlinks, you know, just got to jump in there. But the site, it received a manual penalty, you know, after, after I did some research and it was most likely through a lot of the, the PBN type links, which, you know, it's a private blog network 
But the problem that we faced back then, which is now, you know, very obvious. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're buying links out there and you're not sure where they're coming from, the thing is, if anyone can buy it, if anyone can buy these links and it's just a public uh, sort of marketplace, it is not a private blog network. It's public. Everyone can um, buy links there. And I don't want to nerd out too much here, but basically like if you bought a handful of links and maybe you um, talked to some of your friends who also bought links, you could kind of go do some analysis, go over to a tool like Hrefs, look at the backlink profiles. You can start seeing a pattern, right? So if you're a, a data analyst and you can go gather this type of information and you know cross-reference things. And again, if you've got some database skills, even some strong Excel skills, you could put together um, what the network was, or at least a handful of the sites, and then start looking for other footprints. And uh, very quickly, you see uh, Google probably observed a uh, pattern. They did some analysis, analysis, and they, I mean, they maybe didn't even have to spot check too much, but if you receive a manual penalty, usually Google has taken a look at the, site and they've made an assessment. And the thing was, I mean, while the content was uh, relatively high quality, I was engaging in all these link building activities that were against the terms of service, uh, or not the terms of service, but the uh, webmaster guidelines. So it was against Google's rules and they, they were like, hey, we're, you know, you're getting a penalty for this stuff. And it was sad. So I learned a big lesson that day. So it went from, you know, whatever, uh, $6,200 in December to maybe like a couple hundred bucks in January. And then I, I realized that, you know, wasn't going to, you know, just jump back all the, all the traffic, all the rankings were built on the back of all these bullshit links that I had. So there, I didn't really have much of a choice other than, you know, I could, pull the content and maybe do something else with, with it, which is what I actually did. I, I use that content uh, some other time in the future, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to recover that website unless I just rebuilt all those links, which of course was a, a little risky. So the manual penalty was, um, yeah, it was, it was no fun. <laughs> but the thing that I probably made a mistake on is I, I didn't, I didn't pivot soon enough. So I'm going to have to save the other failures for, uh, like the next segment here, which I think maybe we'll be able to do like one per month, one, <laughs> one failure podcast episode per month. And, uh, b- before I, uh, sort of wrap it up, I want to ask you uh, out there if you have a good failure story that you think other people could learn from, or maybe it'll be sort of therapeutic for you to share the story, shoot me an email feedback at doug.show. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a, you know, a, a guest interview or anything like that, but it's something where if you send over a handful of bullet points or a little narrative, it's something that I could share and maybe it'll make other people feel good about, um, not good, but it'll it'll help people feel like they're part of the crew. Because I think everyone has has their 
failure stories in the past, especially if you go back and think about it. Once I wrote the idea down that I could do a series of failure podcast episodes, I thought, uh, you know, I got a handful. Um, maybe I can group a couple together. And then after I started writing them down, I was like, oh, I, yeah, I got a lot of them. I mean, some are not huge, but there are little failure points along the way. So like I said, I didn't learn my lesson with the link building and the manual penalty stuff yet. There's more to come. But the hard part was the techniques that people were teaching. Um, I, I was still a, a beginner at the time. I had less than a year in. So I was trying to learn from people that had you know several years in. They were teaching case studies they were trying to figure it out too. And that is, you know, that's the danger when you're following along with a live case study where someone isn't doing like a repeatable process that they've done before where they're learning along the way. Huge value in seeing someone do that. And especially if it's a public case study where you can follow along and like see exactly what they're doing, not just what they're telling you in a conceptual way, but you can actually see exactly what they're doing and look at the website and the hyperlinks and the images and the alt text and all the little details, very helpful. But if if they are figuring it out along the way, then you're at a spot where you're like, am I following instructions for something that is unproven? And it's just like, okay, here's my hunch. Let's move forward with it. Now, I'm not suggesting that Spencer was doing that during the Niche Site Project 1 case study at all, but I did follow along with other case studies where it was very clear. It's like, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They were just, um, they were just trying, which is good, but you have to be aware of the process that you're following. So again, I was so new and it was sort of a, a change in how websites were, were able to rank, how quick they were able to rank, the link building techniques that we were able to use and how Google was trying to you know, catch up with the, you know, quote, spammers and people that were violating the webmaster guidelines. So they were, they were catching up. The web spam team was getting better and we were trying to stay ahead. So it's the, you know, old cat and mouse game that people talk about. So I did learn a handful of things and it was, it was tough. I mean, looking back, I don't know what I would have done, you know, differently in a specific way, but that was the practice. And I, I don't remember what what year, but I mean, even someone as white hat as like Pat Flynn, which um, white hat now. Back then, I remember like going through his, um, you know, how to build backlinks, uh, web or uh, yeah, blog post just in general on his site. I'm pretty sure he's taken that down because it's, it's so out of date. But when I read it in 2013, it was two years old. So it was like material from 2011 and like some of it was still okay, but it was starting to become just not accurate. And there was still, I mean, even those techniques that were falling out of favor and weren't working as well, they still kind of worked sometimes. And maybe you can get away with um, some some sort of uh, churn and burn websites where you set them up and you know they're going to get penalized, but you could earn a lot of money in a short amount of time. And if you were able to earn enough in that short amount of time, it actually paid off and you could do it multiple times. So yeah, 
crazy times back then. All right, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or anything, like I said, you could get me at uh, feedback at doug.show, feedback at doug.show. If you're just watching on the YouTube side, you know, check out the audio podcast if that is your thing. I know some people actually just use YouTube sort of as their podcast player. So I may do a couple other of these uh, video recordings as well. Just like I said, all the equipment is right here and it's easy enough for me to just turn on the camera too and look at it. So I'm going to play the outro music. This is the only, only change here. So I can do the outro music, fade it up a little bit. There we go. All right. Well, everybody have a great day out there and we'll uh, catch you on the next episode.